Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast on the brink of a new era, if only. My name is Corey Hazelhurst, I'm my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey Corey. And we are joined for the first time this year by Patrick Cook in New York. Hello Patrick. Hello, my country's still here. Well, that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> uh, good point. Sad. More excitingly though, Patrick, the first guest on Not Enough Champagne to have received a COVID vaccine. Yes. I got the Pfizer vaccine. I got my second dose on my birthday, which was Monday. A lovely uh-huh. birthday present for you. Right. Immunity from the pandemic. Happy birthday, uh, Steve. One thing I will well, I should say. One thing I will say is that the second dose has more side effects than the first one and they said it's gonna happen. I felt really tired for like the next two days after and like hot flashes and cold flashes and like a slight fever. It's apparently common on the second one. So anybody gets it, expect don't plan a lot of things the day after you get the vaccine, even around your house because i was so tired speaking of feeling rather tired the last four years of u.s politics joe biden is next week going to be inaugurated president uh, what's his first hundred days going to look like actually pretty rather tiring. isn't it? He's got the pandemic. That's still going on. About 3,000 Americans, is it, dying every day? Related to that, I suppose, is the economy, which isn't looking great. A climate emergency. You've got the fact that the previous president tried to incite an armed insurrection. You've also got America's reputation in the world not being what it was because of the previous incumbent. It's quite an intro, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, what, yeah, how, yeah. Where, where, where do you start? To be hopeful, I will say basically now that you have Democrat in office, and even if it, nothing gets done, the bare minimum is less treasonous things will be done in, in the next four years. And, you know, at least you have the stopgap for continuing that, continuing, you know, inhumane treatment of, you know, undocumented aliens. You know, I don't know, maybe less putting kids in cages may happen in the next four years. You know, at least it will stop some of the crazy stuff, you know, maybe stop another giveaway to rich people in in terms of tax breaks, you know, small things. But uh, no, it's going to be really tough. Even with 50-50, you still got Joe F. and Manchin in there, you know, who who already had said no to $2,000 checks. But overwhelmingly, they'll be able to make small changes in good governance bills and simple changes probably wouldn't have happened if Biden wasn't president. So there's there's hope. I just don't think people should expect like huge whole scale change of the, the American way of life. And we're not all going to be able to like, get on a, a high speed train that will take us down to Florida or and stuff like that. But I think there'll be considerable measured and significant changes to climate change, to the economy, to tackling inequality, especially in a pandemic. Anybody does any anybody that does anything, it will be better than what's going on. Yeah, I don't think that was on the Democrat leaflets. Maybe it should have been vote Biden, less treasonous things will be done. One one hell of a low benchmark. Don't commit treason and, and you're good. America, now at less treason. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully planting more trees and no, that doesn't work. Never mind. Um, been a long week. So <laughs> let's start with pandemic, first of all. There's, there's big plans to try and vaccinate lots of people, which apparently has been hindered by 
some rather jaw-dropping news that you broke, which is, which you told me about before we started recording, which has slightly broken me, which is that the Trump administration claimed they had lots of vaccines, but actually don't have any. Basically, there was supposed to be a national stockpile as they released them in measured quantities to all the states. And then there was a push uh, to for the Trump administration to release the national stockpile. And they're like, yeah, we will. Here's the thing. We don't have any in stockpile. How? How does that? Here's the thing. Like normally with these sorts of things, we can have a bit of back and forth and a discussion of it. But with this, there's, there's nothing to to really almost to be said on it because it's there just isn't any. There's no stockpile. There's no vaccines available because one would assume they just didn't buy any. Well, they just didn't buy enough. Yeah, supposedly the, the people that are covering the, co- you know, the COVID response had created this whole plan for vaccines and all the distribution and buying of one. And it sat two months without being approved by the Trump administration, particularly Trump. So now and then, you know, they hear the stories of basically father said, we'd like, would you like to buy more? Would you like to buy more? Um, I know they were leaning on Moderna because Moderna was the, was uh, was a, the American vaccine. America first. Remember that. But I think generally speaking of complete in total, like do nothing for two months, basically killed their chance to get national stockpile, but nobody told the national stock people to update the number numbers that they weren't going to get them. Two months of doing nothing or proving any of this stuff like that, that led them to not have a stockpile that they should have had. There is basically a train was on track without, without anybody driving it. It's almost as though spending more or less every waking day since the since Donald Trump lost the election, claiming that Donald Trump did not lose the election, that there was massive fraud and focusing on spurious legal cases rather than actually running the country has had a negative side effect uh, on the uh, major issue of the day. Who could have foreseen such such an outcome? Really? It's just like, how could you see it coming? How could I mean, like you did nothing and it didn't work out. I'm shocked. And they're all out of ideas. But I suppose if, if one was actually trying to stay in office, one would have thought that that might be a use, an incentive to actually stockpile vaccines. But yes, OK, we are in a hellscape. So the, the vaccine plan is progressing, maybe. I suppose other big sort of stuff on pandemic is, which is related to one of the other sort of things I'm interested in about trying to improve America's reputation in the world is trying to um, get Biden says that he'll rejoin the WHO on his first day in office. I mean, a crowded first day. I swear there was something else he was going to do as well. But I suppose that's part of America returning to sort of leading the world and multilateralism, institution, working through institutions, all that sort of thing as well. He also was going to join the Paris Agreement on the first day. I think there's a lot of um, sim- symbolic things, um, like, for instance, re- rejoining the WHO is, is, is really important from the perspective of, you know, American soft power and being able to say, hey, look, the grown-ups are back in charge. You know, we're back at the back at the table. We're prepared to actually engage with, with reality again. Um, but actions like that aren't necessarily going to have much of an impact, immediate or medium to long term, I would say, on the pandemic response it- itself. The, thing, the reality is what's going to make that impact is, is, is the fact that you've got, for the, for the first time, actual people who've been taking it seriously are going, are going to be put in, in charge of dealing with the response to it. There's going to have been a lot of work happening in the background. It is kind of insane. Like, it seems like 
the pre of his pre time of taking office seems to be more impactful towards the on American politics than what you would expect, you know, the president elect to do where he's basically got sayings he's got you know Fauci coming out saying that this is a he's he's doing the right thing that he approves of it like Pfizer to, you know talk uh, talking to the one address a lot of other people have have come out in favor and people are already making changes based on what he's going to do it seems insane I love to see it but I also get to the point as you were saying I don't want to talk about the president every day can we go back to every couple mm-hmm. days and we just know things are working and then I'm thinking about Joe Biden and uh what he's doing every once a couple of days instead of every day, which we had to do under Trump, that would be just, just the, a damn delight. The impression, <laughs> the impression I get is it's a lot of Biden's public utterances since becoming president elect is there's almost been a bit of a sign of relief uh, whenever he speaks, and it's usually in sentences, and it usually isn't to try and break someone in public or to bully someone. It's actually. I'm, this is what I'm going to do about this particular public problem, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's the economy and whether it's the environment. In terms of the, the commentary and the media sort of response behind it, it seems to be, oh, well, yeah, thank goodness for that. And it is just such a change of tone, just speaking in sentences. One of the more clever, certainly political aspects of the, the first 100 days is that a lot of the response with the pandemic also seems to be quite wrapped up with a lot of the economic response as well so there's a there's a stimulus package which apparently is three times bigger than the obama stimulus back in 2009 can you believe it was that long ago uh, isn't just about tackling the pandemic it's also about things like economic issues like, like student debt patrick i know an issue quite close to your wallet there is be great if you did ten thousand. I would wipe away my uh, the rest of my student debt. Well, given he's already committed to spending one point nine trillion dollars as part of this stimulus plan, I'm I'm pretty sure um, wiping out some of the student debt may very well be on the cards as a as a separate thing in the near future. Biden is not afraid to spend money. Um, the, the the plan is massive job packages um, in targeted sectors like hospitality uh, and uh, and in healthcare, which are obviously two areas in regards to healthcare that are very important during the uh, during the pandemic. And uh, hospitality, restaurants, those sorts of places have been very heavily affected by the uh, by, by the pandemic. So they're areas in need of of support. And at the same time, you've also got elements in there which uh, are undoubtedly progressive and, and and very good news from a left-wing standpoint, like the minimum wage rising up to $15 an hour. And I believe it's actually going to be linked to inflation as well. Don't also forget that it remove, it, it gets rid of the exemption for tipped wages. Yes. Yeah, which That's is like huge. That that was something I, I did not even know was a was a thing. Apparently there's I don't know if loophole's quite the right term, but uh, effectively, uh, if you worked in a restaurant or somewhere like that and the, the money you got from tips took you over the minimum wage limit, then that was fine and the restaurant didn't have to pay you the minimum wage or there was a secondary uh, minimum wage, which was like $2 an hour. So basically what it is is that when it, when they originally passed the minimum wage in 1933 to get approval, basic forget approval for FDR to be able to pass it, he basically service workers and like agriculture workers because they do it based on number of dinners or number of bushels or whatever they, you know, that that they have bonuses that they're based on how much they picked or how much food was won. It was a relatively like scale. If you didn't do a lot of dinners, the number dropped lower depending on how many like 
if uh, tips brought you above minimum wage, they could lower the amount, which is also taxable. That's a huge, huge, huge thing to 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 take. Is that just even eliminating that? Because a lot the tip rate fifteen dollars is huge, but also like that's that's a that's a massive democratic uh, democratic shift uh, in ec- economic equality is removing tipped uh, tipped wage. It's huge. Yeah, you've also got uh, 170 billion heading towards schools, which is, is, you know, it's being pitched as, oh, yeah, this is how we get schools uh, open again, uh, whilst the pandemic's happening and actually making them safe and secure all of these different things. But additional funding for, for education, whatever form that is, is going to take, is always going to be a, a, a good thing, especially in certain parts of the US where um, education gets a bit of a gutting, uh, you know, budgets and, and, and finding funding for things. You mean like cutting up frogs and things like that? Yeah. Oh, certainly in the USA, and it is clever politics, I think, where you're able to try and please a lot of the progressive left of the Democratic Party with things like a $15 minimum wage, which gives you hopefully the political capital for so that some of the other things that you might not be able to get through, either because of Joe F. in Mansion or because <laughs> um, just because there, there is a limited amount of time to, to get these things through. I think it's hard too is to do something like one of the biggest issues that I think a lot of like urban planning have related to transportation funding is the the pair the mix between road road construction to multimodal so train the railroads and and public transportation like you're not on and on going to get the truck you're going to have the whole force of the trucking and freight industry to be making sure that you're funding roads versus public transportation but and same thing with climate energy but if you throw it into an omnibus or something long-term stimulus you're going to probably make decent progress while everybody's pleased for something that on its own probably wouldn't have especially in a 50 50 senate wouldn't have the probably the path to it, it being passed no, overall, this this is a this stimulus is already, but also the response to stimulus this economic one is already bigger than the Great Recession because from the original three trillion dollars to nine hundred billion dollars in one point nine puts it in a much better much better response. Whether the money was spent is being spent efficiently in the right place, that's up for debate. But it is a better response than anything we did in two thousand nine when Republicans held control of the House. Just thinking about some of the other issues, they didn't. I didn't list them in in the priorities at the start of the episode, but. They are important in and of themselves, but also quite important for the left of the Democratic Party as well. So we haven't really talked a lot about healthcare. We haven't really talked a lot about police reform. We haven't really talked a lot about the kind of the John Lewis Voting Rights Act either. And I realise I've just bundled those three all together and I'm going to look for a kind of pithy answer in one or two minutes. But what, (laughs) aside from recovering from a pandemic and aside from dealing with a climate emergency and aside from dealing with an economic collapse and aside from dealing with the possibility of an armed insurrection, of those three, how do you think a Biden administration is going to approach them? What are the priorities going to be? Do you think there's going to be much progress on, on any of those? Also in this stimulus bill was reducing, was lowering the age for Medicare to 60 from 65. So that was, that was one of the big things. I think it's unlikely that you're going to see much progress in healthcare other than maybe stabilizing Obamacare and taking some of the executive orders that were removed and putting them into law. I just don't, maybe improving and reforming or stabilizing uh, Obamacare might be the things. I think, I think what you're going to see is probably a push towards voting rights more than anything based on what just happened in 2020. I think 
think it's likely the next priority will be John Lew the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, including statehood for DC. I think that has come up a, of I think that has come up very high on um, on the priorities based on kind of what happened last week. I think there's also a possibility in that to also include a binding referent basically a binding uh, automatic. Uh, accession of Puerto Rico into becoming the 52nd state, uh, passing a binding referendum. I don't think you're going to see much on gun control. I don't think you're going to see much, much, much on some of the other priorities of like, I don't, again, I don't think anything's going to happen in immigration for another four years again, or at least another two, depending on what happens in 2022. I think the Voting Rights Act is going to be the next push because that way they're going to attempt to get rid of the filibuster in that. Generally speaking, uh, in agreement with Patrick on that, I think the Voting Rights Act is, is something that will is something that's urgently needed. Clearly, um, everything we've seen over the past God knows how many months at this point is is indicative of that. Um, but it's also potentially going to be one of the trickier things to actually get get through because it's something which the Republicans will likely oppose quite strongly because it's going to limit their chances of actually um, winning elections because so many of their so much of their strength comes from um, you know uh, screwing around with people's access to votes who can vote um, so for instance in Georgia when Stacey Abrams uh, lost a load of people were just removed from the from the registration prior to the election. Biden and the Democrats are going to want to get that done as quickly as possible, bed these things in and get them up and running as quickly as possible prior to the uh, midterm elections. Um, prior to prior to states doing redistricting, yeah. redistricting will happen in probably, well, it should have started already because of, but the census is going to be late. But I think yeah. it's important to get that started with their in-bit redistricting than the, the basically establishing the, you know, bringing back the uh, voting rights amendments related to partisan. Uh, racial gerrymandering back, but also nonpartisan and partisan gerrymandering. It's going to be huge to get that on the books so they can sue the crap out of states. If you know that the Justice Department can sue the crap out of states when they violate it in probably seven, eight months for some of the stuff going into the midterms, it's going to be huge because it's going to be a bloodbath for Democrats otherwise for uh, redistricting, most likely. Because they're just, they have no morals to, to putting districts that are compact. They're just going to, Jim Jordan's district is a great example of it like a french fry with like a doorstopper on the bottom of it that's what that district looks like it's so gerrymandered but yeah i think it's going to be huge because i also think that's one of those things that they're going to want to still ride the high of biden's right now the positivity and it's always true the first you know three months of a presidency is the highest popular level you're going to but i also think you're going to also after what happened last week with the willful uh acceptance of the most of the republicans i think they're going to have public opinion to changing voting rights act still on their side but i don't know in about a year if that's still going to be the same you know it's a second order issue it's not a first order but right now it's a first order based on you know trump's actions and i don't think that's going to last yeah let's use that as a bit of a spring to talk more about the politics of it then rather than the substance the impression i get is that joe biden would have been happiest to never have to think about Donald Trump ever again. He wanted very much his administration to be about building back better and not have endless relitigating of Trump. And that was sort of undermined, wasn't it, when Donald Trump incited an armed insurrection of the US Capitol. In, in a sense, you you can't really ignore the sort that sort of turd if it's kind of presented onto your lawn. There is going to be an impending impeachment trial in the Senate. And how does that work with trying to get Biden's nominees 
confirmed into cabinet. These, this was already delayed because Trump refused to concede. One of the things the 9-11 Commission found in their report was that because Bush-Gore wasn't resolved until quite late and there was a bit of a delay with George Bush having his cabinet confirmed, that was one of the contributory factors leading into 9-11 because essentially you need the cabinet to be in and hit the ground running. If that hasn't happened, you've, you've got a problem. So you've got, there's a couple of things, aren't there? You, you've got the big political problem of a party which is off the rails and you have the other kind of more practical problem is how am I going to get my guys in and do my agenda? I think what, what he said on that is they're go, that he's currently in discussions with Mitch McConnell to basically split the day um, between, between confirmations um and impeachment hearings so in effect it would go in the morning we deal with impeachment in the afternoon we deal with confirmations thing is as a result of god knows how many years at this point of various acting uh of various uh, trump officials being only acting uh secretaries of this that or the other or only acting uh in in their position and not actually being confirmed yeah he i mean there was also approval that he was good that he was they were going to do the homeland security prior to the inauguration and uh i think some national uh, intelligence i believe is the one i mean trump proved that acting has all the same rights as confirmed cabinet secretaries so you know that's positive to one but i also think that that's where you're like lisa murkowski and probably i don't trust susan collins at all at anything because uh, trump really trump really learned his lesson this time but i think murkowski will 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 vote with democrats to get all of those approved and, and ones i mean there's always this there's always the one that they just still say no no matter what the democrat is so they should probably go more progressive than trying the merrick garland we'll give you a very moderate one person that we like and if you still said no to them so positive but i think there is some very big you know issues if they decide to play hardball on this one and leave these positions open because on top of that you there's usually nobody there usually there'll be somebody there that you could hold on for a while but since most of the cabinet has resigned at this point and the ones there's nobody that can keep evenly keep you know keep the lights on and making sure there's enough gas in the tank until you get there <laughs> what do you think is the the more surprising fact is it apparently that there are now more u.s troops in dc than in iraq and afghanistan combined or is it that somehow rudy giuliani was invoicing the trump campaign invoicing trump for twenty thousand dollars a day for the legal work he was giving him. And is uh, not being paid uh, any of his invoices so far. Um, Trump has basically stiffed Giuliani on the bills, as Trump has done for basically every bill he's ever uh, built up. But I think a load of the cities that um, Trump did um, his um, rallies in have been left with huge bills, which should be getting paid by the Trump campaign, and they're just not being paid at all either it's really yeah oh he's gonna get sued by a lot of a lot of municipalities for the money like he's got yeah. probably the next year don't you shouldn't plan any birthday parties or any any trips he's gonna be in court in a lot of places for yeah. the next year and he's not gonna have a leg to stand on either is <laughs> is, is, is the thing so yeah I, are these the same rallies that were basically confirmed as being super spreader events as well Oh, but this goes back to his first. It goes back to his first, uh, his first run for president, and then all of the stuff throughout. You know, campaign stops throughout the last four years. This isn't just start, started in last year. He hasn't paid 
anybody for like the last four years for the for the police the police uh, coverage for these events. What? Just, yeah. But, he's this is the, well he's done this his whole career. He's never yeah. paid anybody. I mean yes. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe you know. Yeah. Corey, how naive can you be? But what? <laughs> so. So Donald Trump turns up. I, I, I suppose. <laughs> but it, isn't it also that the president is meant to? Isn't he meant to be protected by Secret Service goons and stuff? Not so if it's it, a campaign stop. Uh, so like the secret service will protect him no matter where he goes but uh but but if you're if it's not considered an official like town hall which if it's official town hall you can't deny press you can't deny people to come in in front of you because it's a official open public one if you do campaign you can deny people in there so if it's considered campaign just like if he uses air force one to fly to a campaign event he the trump campaign is supposed to reimburse the government for the cost of using the air force Air Force One and and the coverage needed to protect the rest of the speakers and but Secret Service wouldn't be covered to with with local local police force to cover the thirty thousand people that would come. That's all supposed to be covered by campaign funds. They haven't done that, and apparently, Jared Navanka also wasn't let Secret Service personnel use their toilet. That story has everything. It Apart is amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I love that. Yeah, the part of that story that loved me the most was uh, they were good to use the Obama uh, command center until someone made a mess and they said, get out of here. Don't come back. My favorite is that uh, Ivanka and uh, Jared Kushner have six bathrooms in their house and then they made, and then, but they made them go to their neighbors um, and rent out, and uh, rented out a, a basically a basement toilet um, that they could all use for like, God knows how many thousands of dollars a month. And it's, it's just they like, a bachelor pad for their secret service members. Yeah. And it's just like, hmm, might want to look into the finances of that one and just double check and see exactly where that money went. It's the Obama command center. What Jared Kirsten calls his toilet. I'm very confused. <laughs> it's, it's a whole episode in itself. Well, what were we ho- talking about? <laughs> well, hopefully, unlike us, hopefully Joe Biden will have his mind taken away from Donald Trump's various <laughs> nefarious schemes and Jared Kushner's toilet and enact more of his agenda than we've most to enact on this episode. Um, we will have an episode out for you next week with Shaz. We'll be talking about uh, Joe Biden's environmental policies. Uh, Stephen Patrick are also going to join us to talk about Georgia what lessons that has for Democrats. If people were inspired with talks of toilets and embezzlement uh, or financial misdemeanors and wanted to support us in a strictly uh, above board way that is constitutionally viable, how would they do that? Well, they could do that by heading over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, where if you sign up as one of our backers over there or our champagners, as we call them, uh, you will gain access to, um, you know, unique episodes that we produce, um, which only go up on Patreon. You'll gain access to uh, early access to uh, a load of the blog content that goes up on the site. Um, Likewise, you will uh, find you'll get some invites every now and again to some like suppose roundtable discussions we uh, we do with uh, some of our uh, our friends of the show on occasion. 
Uh, so Patrick's done, 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 done one at least once before. Um, and uh, yeah, those sorts of things that uh, we want to try and do more of. And uh, the more uh, backers we get, the more likely we are able to uh, to arrange that sort of thing. Our website is notenoughchampagne.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram designed the logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. And Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Pucky Good Times. The podcast Twitter handle is at No Champagne Pod. I'm at Paperback Riotous. I'm at Acoustic Radical. I'm at P Cook Eleven. Happy podcast.